Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a Big Heads Media Podcast. Tonight, I discuss tragic tales from the world of music, with maybe just a dusting, just a hint of the esoteric. It's Hazelhurst, Mississippi, and Clear Lake, Iowa. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of season three of Small Town Secrets. Uh, I'm recording and releasing a day early because, well, why not? I've got nothing better to do at the moment. I hope everyone out there is staying safe and healthy and is ready for a kind of a little bit of a different show tonight, a bit of a different topic. We're going to be talking about some stuff, some music stuff some stories uh, from the world of music, if you will. Going to get into the Robert Johnson story and the myth of the crossroads. 
which I bet a lot of people have probably heard about the whole Crossroads thing, but don't know its backstory, don't know where it came from. Uh, well, that's what we're going to get into the night with Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Then we're going to hop over to Clear Lake, Iowa, and we're going to talk about uh, what people have come to call it the uh, day the music died. But we're going to talk about the uh, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and Big Bopper plane crash out of Clear Lake, Iowa in 1959. And so, but you know, if you're here for some spoopiness, uh, do not fret because I will have an interview in the Your Small Town Secret segment f with uh, Shane McKelland, who is a witch, lawyer, and ghost hunter and fellow podcaster who does the Q Files. Uh, so we'll, we get into all that. We talk about some local haunts uh, around Ohio, actually around uh, Newark, and uh, talk about some of that and talk about what he gets into and, you know, just good ghost honey stuff and some good ghost honey stories. So it's a fun conversation. So that's coming up later in the show. That's what's on the docket for tonight. Um, it's actually a Thursday night. Well, I guess technically now it's a Friday morning, whatever. Uh, yeah, on quarantine. Don't have anything better to do, so I got the notes and stuff done earlier this afternoon and decided that I would just take a nice nap and get up tonight and go ahead and knock it out, release it a day early, and uh, get it out to everyone as soon as possible. I've got two promos I'm going to play real quick. The first is from another Big Heads Media podcast, Deep Into History, and then I'm going to play the Nothing Ever Happens in Canada podcast promo, which she uh, kindly played uh, mine, replayed mine again the other week, and actually got a lot of traffic from it, so I'm going to return the favor. So after those, we'll get into Hazelhurst, Mississippi, and Clear Lake, Iowa. After my first few episodes, some of my newfound fans called me a lore master, which was an honor and so epically cool. But the thing is, I desire to be known as THE lore master. So, this is the tale of the rise of an epic podcast that critics say is redefining a genre. The tale of a man who decided that his calling in life was to give a future to the past. The saga of Arjun, your lore master. Come dream with me as we go deep into our stories. If you think you've been taken to a battlefield before, I assure you, you're mistaken. So take a deep breath, let it out slowly, put some smoke in the air if you choose, and prepare to let your mind flow to my voice as we go deep. Welcome to Deep Into History, available everywhere. If you like myths, legends, and just good old stories, come join me, Canadian Girl, over at Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, where I try to find out what's going on over here. We look for lost gold, we chase mermaids, Look for sunken ships, discover stories about amazing women in Canadian history, blow up mountains, and just recently, we were hunting for giants. And they say nothing ever happens here. You can find me on most of your podcast apps, and most likely, where you found this awesome podcast that you're listening to now. Again, it's Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, and I'm Canadian Girl. I hope you'll join me on my next adventure. So if you get a chance, please check out both those shows. Uh, if you listen to this one, I think both of them will be uh, right up your alley. 
right right in the pocket for you to uh to really like. But let's move on and talk first about Robert Johnson. Um he was a blues musician. I'm going to get into this a little bit before we get into the story proper like he looking back on it, he's the beginning really of everything. He's the beginning of modern blues. He's the father of the Delta blues. You know, the stuff that he figured out and the stuff that he started doing in the thirties is what would evolve into modern rock and roll. And, you know, like it's one of those things where I'm going to talk about how amazing he was when he came out and started doing what he did. And, you know, some of you are probably going to go back and listen to some of his stuff and go, Hey, what is he talking about? Because it's one of those things that's kind of like the Beatles, right? Like the Beatles were revolutionary in the 60s, but if a lot of people go back and listen to them now, they just don't get it. And the reason being is because the stuff that the Beatles were doing in the 60s has been done to death now. You know, like, I remember I had a class and we were talking about this back in college. Like, you know, back in the day when you wrote a song, you wrote it in a minor key or you wrote it in a major key. You know, the Beatles were one of the first to kind of come along and go, yeah, we're going to do some of it in major, we're going to do some of it in minor. And, like, now that's done to death. But, you know, back in the early 60s, you didn't do that. It's stuff like that. So if you listen to it and you really kind of sit down and listen to some of his songs, you can hear the beginnings of so much stuff. And you have to realize that in the 30s, what you're he- what you're hearing, if you think about it in the context of the 1930s, it was like nothing anyone had ever heard before. Now, done to death. Now it's the norm. But it's the norm because of Robert Johnson. And uh, with all that out on the way, let's talk about Hazelhurst, Mississippi, Robert Johnson, and the legends of the crossroads. Hazelhurst is a town in central Mississippi, 4,000 strong. In the 1870s, the town began to boom. It had become a rail stop for the newly developed New Orleans, Jackson, and Great Northern Railroad. Its growth was so large, in fact, that it became the county seat of Copia County in 1872, which, up until that point, had been the town of Gallatin. It was here that one of the most influential and mysterious blues artists was born, Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson was born on May 8, 1911, and actually we... Don't know that 100% for sure. That's just kind of the agreed upon date. You'll come to find out that a lot of the stuff we know about Johnson isn't 100% pinned down. Johnson's life seemed fraught with hardship from the very beginning. His mother was Julia Dodds. She was married to a successful furniture maker and carpenter by the name of Charles Dodds. During their marriage, Charles was driven out of Hazelhurst to Memphis by a lynch mob. Because of this, Julia started living with another man named Noah Johnson. Noah Johnson was Robert's biological father. Growing up, Robert never had a stable home life. His mother and him would travel from town to town, never staying in one place for too long. Eventually, his mother would remarry a sharecropper, Dusty Willis. It is said that his stepfather did not approve of his wanting to play music. He wanted Robert to work the fields, but Robert refused. This often resulted in physical abuse. He began playing in the fields and on street corners. Robert made a few nickels and dimes along the way, but he wasn't actually that good. 
After he finished school at 17, he took his father's name and married Virginia Travis. He gave up his dream of playing music, and Virginia and him moved and worked on a plantation. Virginia soon became pregnant, and seven months into the pregnancy, she left to go live with her grandmother to have the baby. Robert took advantage of this time by himself. He once again picked up his guitar and started playing his old street corners and haunts. He played city after city, making his way up the state, making his way to Virginia's grandmother's so he would be there to see his newborn child and wife. However, when Robert finally arrived, he found that Virginia had died during childbirth. She had already been buried along with the baby when he got there. He was chastised by her family, saying, You should have been here, and not playing that devil's music. After this, Robert Johnson had nothing left to lose. He decided to get off the street corners and into the local juke joints. The problem was, he still couldn't play a blues song to save his life. Much of what we know about Johnson's early juke joint experiences would come from bluesmen Sunhouse and Willie Brown. According to them, Robert would follow them wherever they went and tried to play whenever he got the chance. This would always end up with him being shouted off of stage and, uh, and the, like the final time, like he just literally ran away, you know, probably almost in tears. One night, after another humiliating performance on stage, Robert Johnson disappeared. He wouldn't be seen for a year or so. Johnson would emerge with guitar in hand in Banks, Mississippi. He entered a juke joint and lit the place on fire with his plane. He played original songs and played the blues in a way that no one on the Mississippi Delta had heard before. His plane was complex. In many of his songs, it sounded like two or maybe even three people playing, but it was all Johnson. After his resurgence in Banks, Mississippi, it wouldn't just be his popularity that would rise, but also rumors and stories. How did this young man go from a terrible guitarist that was literally laughed out of clubs to the king of the Delta Blues? Some started to say that Johnson met the devil himself at a crossroads late one night with only his guitar. The devil took his guitar, tuned it, and before giving it back, made him an offer. He could have the talent and the fame that he so desired in exchange for his very soul. Robert Johnson accepted, and the devil handed him back his guitar. And that's, you know, that's where it all comes from. A lot of this stems from um, hoodoo belief and hoodoo practices that were very prevalent uh, in the area at the time. And uh, the crossroads was a thing. It was this place of power, this meeting place in hoodoo lore for uh, such things. Stephen Johnson, however, Robert's grandson, has a more reasonable explanation for what may have happened. His story goes that Robert Johnson came back to Hazelhurst looking for his biological father. Instead, he ran into an early mentor of Robert's named Isaac Zimmerman. Zimmerman was an accomplished blues guitarist and taught Robert everything he knew. The two would practice in the nearby Beauregard Memorial Cemetery and also I believe kind of other cemeteries around the area because Zimmerman told him you can practice as much as you want out here none of these people are going to complain. Stephen surmises that it was these cemetery practice sessions that may have led to the Crossroads story which kind of makes sense I mean if you see some dude or a couple of guys kind of playing guitar out in the middle of a cemetery for hours on end days on end I bet some stories are going to uh, be produced from that. 
Whatever the case, when people would bring up the Crossroads story to Robert Johnson, he would never deny it. Even a couple of his songs seemed to reinforce the quickly growing legend, Hellhound on My Trail, and of course, Crossroad Blues. Robert's popularity blew up because of this, and he started cutting records. He would end up recording only 29 songs in his short career. Through all of this success, it seemed that Robert couldn't escape sadness. During this time, he met a woman named Virgie Kane. He would have a son with Kane, but after the birth, she was forbidden by her parents to have any contact with Johnson, because, once again, he played the devil's music. He only met his son, his only surviving child, Claude Johnson, twice. Professionally, Johnson was right where he wanted to be, but he never got the family life he really wanted. Because of this, he started living the life of a traveling bluesman to the nines. He drank, he became surly and arrogant. If he was destined to live this cursed life, then so be it. All of this would catch up to him in 1938. Robert had shacked up with the wife of one of the owners of the Three Forks Juke Club in Greenwood, Mississippi. He got into an altercation with her husband. Later that night, the bartender gave him a bottle of whiskey, a bottle with a broken seal. As he went to take a swig, someone slapped the bottle out of his hands. And I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Don't you ever drink from a bottle with a broken seal, the person said. Robert replied, and don't you ever slap another $7 bottle of whiskey out of my hand. Robert picked the bottle back up and drank the poisoned whiskey. The poison caused him great pain, and it took him three days to die. Robert Johnson would die on August 16th, 1938. He was 27. So, of course, he's in the 27 Club along with Janis Joplin and Amy Winehouse and Jimi Hendrix and all these other uh, great talents that died at the age of 27. His story doesn't end there. Six months later, a man named John Hammond was organizing a concert to showcase certain genres of Southern music, including the Delta Blues, at Carnegie Hall in New York City. He desperately wanted Johnson to be part of the performance. Not knowing that Johnson had passed, he sent a scout down the Mississippi to invite him. Hammond was obviously devastated by the news, but he was able to include Johnson in the show. At one point during the concert, the curtain opened to an almost empty stage. Only a phonograph was present. Hammond himself came out and placed the needle on one of Johnson's records for all to hear. After this, Johnson would fade into obscurity. That is, until the mid-50s when once again Hammond would bring him to the forefront by releasing a collection of songs entitled Robert Johnson, King of the Delta Blues Singers, which I haven't checked here in a little bit, but at the moment I had the high bid for, I think a first pressing, but an early pressing of that record. So if you're ever driving through Hazelhurst and you come to a crossroads, allow yourself to wonder for just a moment. And... That's it. That's the story of Robert Johnson. Like, like I said, the, 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 you know, the, everything you think about blues, is probably from him. Like, when I talked about him being able to play, and sound like it was a, multiple people playing, that was kind of due to, you know, now you see it all the time. You'll see someone with a slide on their pinky or their ring finger, 
and they're playing chords and they're doing this and they're doing that, but then they'll, you know, switch over to the slide real quick. And that's something that blues musicians like Bonnie Raitt's really good at it. They do that all the time now, but back then, you didn't do that. You know, like you either you either pick and strummed or you use the slide. You couldn't, you know, you didn't do both. And Robert came out and he, you know, all of a sudden he could do that. He could mix these two techniques together and he was fast enough and he had really long spidery fingers. You know, he was able to do all these tricks that we kind of take for granted now. Another big one was that he could kind of, one of the reasons he could do that was because, like I said, his fingers were long enough where he could bend his thumb over and grab that top six string and, you know, use his fingers for other stuff, a big kind of Jimi Hendrix trick. And, you know, people do that a lot now as a shortcut to certain chords and stuff. So, but back in the thirties, that was revolutionary. That was breaking ground. And the whole reason we have it is because of Robert Johnson and believe what you want. But like, it's a great story, but I think even, even just going off, like if, if I didn't have a, a, a job, I wanted to say gig, but then I was like, no, we're talking about music, so if you say gig, it won't work. If I didn't have a job and I wanted to learn to play guitar and I literally just did nothing but practice guitar in a cemetery for a year, I'd probably get pretty decent at it. Um, you know? It wasn't like he went off for a couple of weeks and came back. If he would have went off for like two weeks and then came back and was like the best blues musician in the world from being the worst blues musician in the world... Then I'd be like, that guy sold his soul. But, but regardless of that myth, like like I said, we don't know. There's so much we don't know about Robert Johnson. Uh, if you Google Robert Johnson and go to images, or if you go to my show notes, you're going to basically find two pictures. Uh, one of him, like kind of a like an entire like you know full picture of him holding a guitar uh, in a suit, and that was kind of a promotional image. And the other one of him, just kind of a portrait with a guitar and a cigarette in his mouth. And you're going to find those two pictures over and over again because that's it. We only have two verified pictures of Robert Johnson. We don't have any recordings, like, not recordings, I guess. We have no film footage of him playing, which it was the 30s, like, you know, Great Depression and all that. There probably wasn't a whole lot of people filming stuff in juke joints anyway. And everything is just a mystery like when he was actually born you know what he what he looked like you know he was known for playing kind of cheap guitars like he played mostly a Kalamazoo which was a Gibson kind of off off brand and uh, a Sears I can't remember the name of it but a guitar made by Sears Sears and Roebuck which was terrible and you know but he made he made them work he made all of these great sounds come from it he was a mysterious man and no one you know knew a whole lot about him so is it myth if is it marketing did he just ride ride that wave of that myth either way it's still i think a great story and a very interesting one to get into but we have another one to talk about and that is uh, the day the music died so we'll get to that here in just a little bit This next uh, segment is a story that's pretty near and dear to my heart. I've always had, I don't know, just a soft spot for Buddy Holly and 
a lot of the story. It's always captured my imagination in a way that a lot of other stories haven't. But this is uh, the story of Clear Lake, Iowa, and and what has become known as the day the music died. I'll get into why later. In northern Iowa lies the little town of Clear Lake. The town is named for Clear Lake, which the town surrounds on the eastern side. It's here that one day tragedy would strike the rock and roll world. That day is known as the day the music died. Buddy Holly was born in Lubbock, Texas. His real name was Charles Holly. And kind of interesting enough, it's his last name is still Holly, but he spells it differently. Like it's actually spelled EY on the end, but when he changed it, he just got rid of the E too. He started his music career playing country and western music. Then, in 1955, after opening a few times for Elvis Presley, he would switch from country music to full-on rock and roll. He would go on to help form Buddy Holly and the Crickets in 1956, one of their biggest hits being That'll Be the Day, which was released in 1957. In 1958, he broke away from the Crickets, forming a new band, but going out as a solo act. Many people know Giles Perry Richardson, J.P., Richardson Jr. better as the Big Bopper. Richardson started out as a disc jockey for KTRM, and now apparently that radio station is called KZZB, in Beaumont, Texas. Over the years, J.P. would transfer from a disc jockey to a songwriter before finally becoming a performer of his own. He wrote White Lightning, which would later be recorded and released by George Jones. The Bopper's biggest hit, of course, was Chantilly Lace, which was released in 1958. Richie Valens was born in 1941 in Pacomia, California. He was a young pioneer in rock and roll, mixing rock with Mexican musical traditions in what would become known as Chicano rock. He had an interest in music from a very early age, teaching himself to play guitar and later the drums. In 1958, he would release the hits La Bamba and Donna, Buddy Holly, along with DJ musician and friend Waylon Jennings, put together the Winter Dance Party, which was handled by the General Artist Corporation. The tour started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, on January 23, 1959. And uh, they kind of did this because after Buddy kind of broke off from the crickets, what happened was, was like, the crickets remained with the management and stuff, so like, he kind of couldn't get any of those royalties anymore and so he had to re-record he had to record some stuff under his own name and he was kind of starting out again from scratch so he was kind of broke the lineup for the tour consisted of buddy holly and his new backing band which jennings played bass for the big bopper richie valens and dion and the belmonts the tour was fraught with issues from the very beginning the dates seemed haphazardly scheduled as if no thought had been put into their placement whatsoever the tour buses often broke down and at times had to be replaced altogether. The buses were also very uncomfortable and very cold. They didn't have any heating. In fact, I guess they were old school buses that had been converted into tour buses. They were so cold, in fact, that Holly's drummer, Carl Bunch, had to be treated for frostbite to his toes. Both Valens and Richardson showed flu symptoms as well from the cold. The tour ran ragged through the Midwest. Instead of following an even-paced schedule, the tour pinballed from city to city with at times with at times more than 400 miles 
in between cities. The tour also took place during a bad Midwest winter. It was often met with inclement weather and frigid cold temperatures. I mean, they had delays because of snow. Like, we're talking like waist-deep snow in some places. And just, just a bad winter to be doing a tour in the Midwest, like in Wisconsin and like Indiana and Iowa and Ohio, all that. It all came to a head on February 2nd, 1959. That night, the tour stopped in Clear Lake, Iowa at the Surf Ballroom. The Surf Ballroom was built in 1933, burned down in 47, was rebuilt across the street, and is still in use to this day. In fact, you can go and visit. It's kind of a museum now. It's neat. They've got pictures from the night that they played there and just all sorts of great stuff to check out if you're ever, ever around the area. Buddy Holly had grown tired of the buses and the cold. He was tired of not getting enough rest in between stops due to the bad scheduling. So that day, he had arrangements made to chart a plane for himself, Jennings, and their guitarist, Tommy Alsip. He chartered the aircraft from Dwyer Flying Services, owned by Jerry Dwyer. However, those arrangements would not last. Wellings gave up his seat to now sick Richardson because he would be more comfortable for him than on the bus. Alsip ended up flipping a coin with Valens for his seat. It's reported that Richie Valens said it was the only thing he ever won. And there is some debate to this. Uh, Dion from, let me scroll back over my notes here because I forgot their name, from from uh, Dion and the Belmonts has said that that's not what happened. That, you know, Buddy Holly came in and said, hey, we're the money makers, we should take the bus. And there was no coin flip. So I don't know. But then Waylon Jennings has said, no, this is what happened. So there is some kind of back and forth there. For me personally, if I was Buddy Holly, I would have taken the bandmates. It makes more sense to me because if I have bandmates that have to play my songs and I take a plane and I get to the next gig and they're stuck on a bus and something happens and they don't get to the gig, well, now I'm SOL. I don't have my band. I'm here, but they're not. So I would have taken the band with me. I mean, that ended up not happening anyway, but... I think the thought process makes more sense than uh, let's take the, the three big money makers and get them on the plane and risk not having everybody else with us when we get there. In another bit of biting irony, Jennings and Holly ribbed each other. I hope your bus breaks down, buddy, told Whalen. Yeah, I hope your old plane crashes, Whalen said. This was something that Whalen Jennings would go on to regret saying and something that pained him for years and filled him with guilt. The show wrapped that night around midnight. As February 2nd turned into February 3rd, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper boarded a Beechcraft 35 Bonanza at the Mason City Municipal Airport. The plane was scheduled to land in Fargo, Minnesota for the next show in nearby Moorhead, Minnesota. The pilot was 21-year-old Roger Peterson. The plane took off without a hitch and flew off into the night and the bad weather. Shortly after takeoff, radio communication with Peterson ceased and could not be re-established. The next morning, Dwyer himself took a plane out to retrace Peterson's flight path. It took only minutes for him to spot the wreckage, just six miles northwest of the airport. The plane hit the edge of a cornfield just by a road at an estimated 170 miles per hour. No one on the plane survived the crash, and all were believed to have died instantly. Buddy Holly was 22, J.P. Richardson, the big bopper, was 28, 
and Richie Valens was only 17. The reason for the crash was due to pilot Tommy Peterson. He was not yet certified to fly the Bonanza in inclement weather. Flying in weather like what was present that night required the use of only flying by instruments. Peterson was only cleared to fly the plane on sight only. The tour continued on after the death of the three headliners, with Waylon Jennings filling in on vocals for Holly. The winter dance party concluded on February 15th in Springfield, Illinois. The incident would be known as the day the music died, a reference to lyrics from the Don McLean song American Pie. Gary Busey would go on to play Buddy Holly in The Buddy Holly Story in 1978, and Lou Diamond Phillips would play Richie Valens in 1987's La Bama. Outside of Clear Lake, there are memorials at the crash site. If you get a chance and are in the area, you should make a detour and stop by and pay a visit. And I, I want to go on one small diatribe, one small rant. I have not actually seen the Buddy Holly story. I have seen pieces of it. And it's always annoyed me because Gary Busey... Not, not because Gary Busey's playing Buddy Holly. Um, imagine Gary Busey. The Gary Busey that we know now playing Buddy Holly. But he's playing on a guitar that did not exist in 1959. And that's always bugged me. Yes, it's a Fender Stratocaster. But it's a Fender Stratocaster with a fat headstock which did not come into fruition until, like, 67, 68. And so, in that movie, Buddy Holly is playing a Stratocaster from the future. All right, I'm done. I just had to get that off my chest. Also, another uh, weird little tidbit, which I didn't know until I started really looking into this, was that a while back, the Big Bopper's body was exhumed. It was going to be moved. And so his son took that as an opportunity to have his father's body re-examined because he had heard rumors and a story that the plane crash had been caused because someone had a gun and shot it inside the plane that shot the bopper inside the plane because Richardson was found the only evidence for this was that Richardson was found like way far away from the crash so the plane crashed in a field but like really more in the side ditch, like by the side of the road, on a fence. And and Richardson's body was found across the road in the next field over, really far away. So everyone kind of, so these rumors kind of started saying that he had gotten shot and the plane crashed and he had survived the plane crash and had gotten out and tried to get to safety or get away from the crash and died. But upon further immunization and examination of his body they didn't find a shot and everything was was in line with what everyone says that happened that the guy just you know the pilot just he wasn't cleared to fly by just using instruments like the weather was so bad visibility was only six miles so he wasn't he just wasn't trained he only had like 180 hours flight time or something on that on that specific model of plane and he wasn't yet certified or cleared to fly just using instruments he could only fly he was only supposed to be flying basically during the day in good conditions where he could see so and he just probably got disoriented and hit the ground going at full speed and that's what caused it all and it really is i mean it's called the day the music died because of that song but that's really more in reference to saying that like Don McLean was like, this is this was the day that 
like the innocence of rock and roll died and everything changed after that, which he was kind of right, I guess it did. And so those are our stories for tonight. We are going to take an intermission. Uh, because this is a music episode and because, as like a lot of you, I've had a lot of time on my hands, I was able to do a new track for tonight. One that I think I, I'm really kind of happy with. I've had this blues riff, this kind of shuffly blues riff, in my head for like three years, four years, something like that. And this finally gave me a chance to get it in the computer and do something with it. So we're going to listen to uh, the new track, Ritual at the Crossroads, and we will come back with the local headlines.
And we're back. Uh, as you might have guessed, it was kind of a not a slow news week in general, uh, but a slow news week for weird, esoteric, paranormal news stories. But I did I did manage to dig up three, and actually, when I quit looking, a few kind of better ones popped up. So it all turned out great in the end. This first one is from BroBible.com. It's written. Oh, I just had the name and now I've lost it. It's written by Douglas Charles, and it is titled, There Have Been Four Recent Bigfoot Sightings in a North Carolina Town. The town of Littleton in North Carolina has recently found itself at the center of an investigation, a Bigfoot investigation. Littleton, population 674, of the, at least of the last sentence, census, is located near the northern border of North Carolina just a few miles away from the Virginia border. What is going on in North Carolina these days? It is also the location of not one or two, but four recent Bigfoot sightings, according to MysteriousUniverse.com. And I think they have that wrong. Let's check. Let's see. Yep, it's, they're actually linking the MysteriousUniverse.org, the podcast. But they have a little excerpt from that website here. Littleton is a minor hotbed of Bigfoot sightings. In early November 2019, Ebony Curls reported seeing a short, five and a half foot tall Bigfoot directly behind the Cryptozoological and Paranormal Museum. Museum owner Stephen Barcello says that the latest and the fourth recent sightings in Littleton, and he believes the creatures are being driven out of the woods by development. The most recent Bigfoot sighting in and around Littleton happened when a man named Jesse Walker was taking out his trash on March 20th. Walker, who appears in the video below, shot by Barcelo, who was also the local commissioner, appears to be visibly shaken by his encounter with Sasquatch, which he says took place just 20 minutes prior to the discussion. In the video, Walker claims that the creature he saw, which he says was Bigfoot, was real tall and had big hands. His fur was real black, said Walker, describing what he saw, and it was shaggy, long. It's real, man, added Walker, who is either one of the greatest undiscovered actors of our generation or is telling the unvarnished truth. Two weeks ago, Barcelo went on a Bigfoot expedition in the area of Medoc Mountain State Park and made some interesting discoveries. Now, the article doesn't really get into the discoveries, but they did link to a, a YouTube video by, by Stephen and... Uh, it's kind of interesting. He shows that they, he's gone out and there's a lot of trees that have just been broken off. Not every tree, but uh, some pretty substantial trees to be broken. Like, they aren't saplings, but they aren't like, you know, a uh, hundred-year-old tree either. And just, he goes about saying, you know, and he, he does say that, you know, I'm not going to jump to conclusions. But he does find some interesting things if you want to sit down and watch that YouTube video, which will be linked. It's in the article, a link to the show notes there. So did this man really see a Bigfoot as he and others obviously believe? Or is this, and the numerous other recent sightings, nothing more than a hoax? And that is that. The next one, this one comes from the IB Times, International Business Times, by Inigo Munzen. And this is Hikers Accidentally Photograph a UFO in California. A couple hiking in California accidentally captured a UFO with their camera, according to a UFO expert. 
Is it possible that the strange object was moving too fast for the human eye to see? Scott Waring of ET Database, which I believe I've used before for a couple of reports, reported the UFO sighting took place in Riverside, California on March 22nd. It was spotted by a, cu a couple hiking in the region. According to the eyewitnesses, he and his wife were hiking in the area and she decided to take his photo. As they were viewing the photo, he noticed the object that appeared to be flying across the sky behind him. The couple noted that they did not notice the object when they took the photo. His wife took this pic in the morning while they were on a hike, the eyewitness stated. When we looked at this pic, we saw the strange object. We noticed an odd hole in the clouds to the far left. Also a strange aura around the object. This was while viewing the pic as we didn't see it with our eyes. Based on the photo, which was shared via ET database, the object appeared to have a dark colored body. Also its shape did not resemble that of a traditional aircraft. Interestingly, the object did not show any visible means of propulsion. After viewing the photos, Warren noted the object was most likely moving at an incredible speed when the photo was taken. This would explain why the couple did not notice the object flying across the sky. Warren also noted that the strange object could be an alien vessel that was monitoring the activities of people within the region. A dark disc appeared in the photo, possibly shooting past faster than the human eye could catch, but was caught by the camera, he stated in a blog post. They later saw the disc and were confused as to how it could be there if they had not seen it themselves. This UFO seems to have detected the people and shot past to scan them and record them, unknowingly being recorded in the process. And they have a link to the picture. It's a very tic-tac UFO-like photo. Uh, just kind of this long square looking thing. It doesn't look very aircrafty, so it's either a really bad photo of a plane or it's not a plane. You can't make it out a tail, a head, wings, any of that stuff. Uh, very interesting photo. Doesn't look to be faked either. And uh, that's also, I'm gonna link to that one of course. Take a look at that photo, see what you think. This next one is from Coast to Coast AM by Tim Banal, and uh, this is California County Del Debates sorry, Resolution to Protect Bigfoot. In a bizarre bit of local politics, the supervisors of a county in California recently had a lengthy debate over whether or not to pass a resolution that would punish any individuals who purposely killed a Bigfoot. The strange matter came up during an otherwise routine meeting of the Trinity County Board of Supervisors last week. Alongside mundane governmental issues such as increasing the animal control budget and awarding a liquor license to an area restaurant was an eyebrow-raising proposal aimed at protecting Sasquatch. Specifically, the resolution argued that there is evidence to indicate the possible existence in Trinity County of a nocturnal primate mammal voraciously described as an ape-like creature or subspecies of Homo sapien, colloquially known as Sasquatch, Yeti, Bigfoot, or Giant Hairy Ape. Noted, the purported presence of this creature in the region has not only drawn interest from researchers, but also gun-toting individuals looking to take down the beast. A bill called for any premeditated willful and wanton slaying of Bigfoot to be punishable by a fine of up to $1,000 and or imprisonment in the county jail for a period of one year. Political junkies who were paranormal enthusiasts will be delighted to know that the actual meeting in which the Trinity County Board of Supervisors debated the issue was broadcast on YouTube. The surprisingly long and decidedly amusing conversation can be seen in the video above. It begins with a board member, 
Bobby Chadwick, who put forward the proposal, reading the resolution to her colleagues, and then opening up the floor to questions or comments after a somewhat uncomfortable spell of silence. Fellow board members Keith Groves laughingly ask, why is this on the agenda? In response, Chadwick explains that there is enthusiasm regarding the Bigfoot throughout the, ca the county, and the purpose of the resolution is to help facilitate a well-being of this creature. We don't want anyone hunting or shooting Sasquatch, Groves concerns about the unorthodox nature of the proposal were echoed by another board member, John Fenley, who told the group that he has received quite a few emails from, irrit from irritated constituents wondering what the heck is going on with all this and getting grouse that I got beat up. Despite the pushback from her colleagues on the board, Chadwick posited that there were possible educational and tourism-related benefits to the bill. Finley simply responded, I get it, but my constituents just before bursting into laughter. Following some positive comments from members to the public who attended the meeting, the final debate over the proposal takes a surprisingly heated turn when, when Groves declares that, rather than being hilarious, I actually find the resolution to be insulting as it encourages laxity in the use of firearms. I'm not sure if we're trying to be funny or if we're trying to be serious or what we're trying to do here, Groves says with an air of expiration. We have spent more time on this than we should. A few moments later, he somewhat dramatically spins around his chair as if to say he has finished discussing the matter. Ultimately, the nearly 20-minute long debate concludes with a majority of the board agreeing to table the resolution so that it can be resubmitted as some kind of proclamation rather than an actual law. And I haven't watched that YouTube video, but I bet it's hilarious. And it is linked uh, on the article there, which I will link in the show notes. I would have I would have proposed a resolution to be like, look, uh, we're doing this so that people aren't just out in the woods with a gun shooting at stuff. You know, that's how you phrase that. You tell everyone, hey, it's not so much about Bigfoot. It is about Bigfoot. But it's more about people not just shooting at stuff blindly in the forest and hurting other people or other animals that they probably shouldn't be shooting at. Might have been a better way to go with that. But those are this week's, this episode's local headlines. And we're going to be back very shortly with a great interview uh, about some ghost hunting goodness. So don't go anywhere. Not that you're going to, once again, podcast, not a radio show. Uh, tonight I've got, this is the kind of the third interview in a row for the show. I've noticed a weird pattern. Like first season we had one. Second season we had two. Third season we had three. Might actually have more, I don't know. Uh, so will the will the pattern hold or will I break it this season? Tune in to find out. Ah, whatever. But uh, I wanted to get a fellow podcaster, Shane McKellen on, who does the Q Files pod, which is a terrific, just well made podcast about uh, many things esoteric, but I wanted to get him on to talk about his uh, ghost hunting background and get some of the stories from uh, places that he's investigated. He's out of Columbus, so we talk about uh, a couple places in and around Newark, which is kind of the next county over, the county seat of Licking County. Uh, so we talk about the, the old Licking County Jail and... Uh, uh, Brandu, the Brandu Mansion, which is also in Licking County, and we get into 
And he did a, he, they, they just did an episode on Brian Dew, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, I had not listened to the episode when we did this interview yet, which I think kind of helped because it, it saved me from asking too many spoilerific questions about the episode, but go check out his show. I'll have it all linked into the show notes. And hopefully, I mean, it's a great show. It'll be something that everyone that listens to this is another one that they can all enjoy. So let's listen to my interview with Shane, and I'll be back after it to finish up this episode of the show. So we are here with Shane McKellen, and you are a ghost hunter slash lawyer slash witch from, you're out of Columbus right now, right? Give or yeah, take? That's, that's, no, I mean, I, I live in downtown Columbus. Okay. And uh, I wanted to get you on to talk about a couple of places you've been recently. One is the uh, old Licking County Jail in Newark, just because I kind of know Newark. Like I said, I had a friend that was going the, to the Ohio State Satellite Campus for uh, for uh, veterinary science over there. And the only thing I remember about Newark is you can buy liquor on a Sunday and they have a Panda Express. But other than that, I don't remember anything about Newark. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's probably not. Um, there's probably not much else anyway. Yeah. I remember, like, we couldn't get pizza delivered to to her apartment, even though pizza was, like, a block away, too. That kind of bug. <laughs> I don't know why. But both the places, so Old Licking County Jail is in Licking County, and Brandu, the Brandu Mansion is also in Licking County. And you guys, on your podcast, The Q-Files, recently did an episode on Brandu uh, where you tried out the Estes Method. So that'll be some fun stuff to talk about. So... Which one? Which one would you rather go into uh, first? Oh, I mean, I personally, I, it doesn't matter to me. Um, okay. They're both kind it. of exciting and in, in, in totally different places. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so I haven't actually none of. So I, I did a, a web series called The Queer Ghost Hunters, and we mm-hmm. didn't um, produce anything at Old Looking County Jail, and we haven't done it on the Q Files yet either. Um, but it's a it's a really fascinating place. It's you know over a hundred years old. I forget exactly how old, but um, it was the first place I ever did a paranormal investigation. Um, and I've gone back, you know, gosh, five or six times now. And every time we go, we end up with, you know, we either had, you know, people getting grabbed and and touched, or we come back with just some fantastic EVPs, or you know, just like there's always some kind of fantastic occurrence that happens uh, whenever we go there so it's a it's a really exciting place and it's lesser known so you can usually kind of get in whenever and it's um it's a good place to get started just because it's it's got some good energy yeah Um, like i noticed that if you go to their website they're very kind of they're very friendly towards people that want to come and ghost hunt or try and experience yeah. yeah they have they have self-guided tours. They've got, you know, all sorts of stuff. So they don't, they don't, they're not one of those places that try to shy away from it by any means. It doesn't look like. No, I think <laughs> actually, and I, and I could be wrong. So, you know, like no one's pointing <laughs> on this, but um, I think what ended up happening with that building is it went from, you know, maybe we should tear it down to everyone going, no, let's save it. Cause it is, it's, I mean, it's a gorgeous building. Um, it needs you mm-hmm. know, updated and stuff, but they were trying to figure out how to, to pay for all of this renovation and upkeep. And I think someone was like, well, it's haunted, uh, you know, like, why don't we let people ghost hunt here? And I mean, it, it's turned into a thing. 
Yeah, no, it is. It's a great building. It's got like, you know, it's a jail. It's a, you know, yeah, so yeah. exactly what everyone jail. kind of thinks it looks like. It's a big brick building with a turret and you know all of that <laughs> stuff. You, everyone probably has a picture in their mind, and they're probably not far off from what it actually looks like. But it is pretty neat. There's a lot of yeah, no, lot it, of great, it's just... great shots here on on the old Google Maps. There's a nice night shot. <laughs> it doesn't. How big is it? It doesn't look to be. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, to, I don't even, I don't know what to even compare it to. It's, it's large, you know, it's four floors, um, but it's not an overwhelming size. Like, um, you know, the, the, like, cell block thing in there, it's, there's, like, I think there's three floors of that um, on top of, like, the, administrative floor and it's separated from the, like the these other like office things so people can investigate even like the areas that are louder and echoey without disturbing kind of everyone so you can take you could probably take 15 or 20 people on your team to go investigate it and not really interrupt each other too much huh yeah it is very compact like the the parking lot's actually probably yeah but, yeah but is there like a basement or anything to, to it yeah, just, there's, I mean, it, I guess it's called the basement or whatever, but it's really what it used to be is kind of like their intake area because it's mm, on the first mm. floor outside, but they also used it as like the drunk tank and stuff. So there's still cells down there. Wow. It is neat. It is a neat building right in the middle of downtown. Yeah. So, so that was the first place. So that was like, so is that your first? ghost hunting adventure ever was here like or did you start you know no 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 like friends houses or anything like that just straight well, to <laughs> yeah so like i um growing up my, my parents house was haunted i uh you know went to school and the house that i ended up living in for a long time it was during like college and law school it was it was haunted so i had this kind of like fascination and then continued ability to experience these weird paranormal occurrences um you know and it kind of really got me interested in it and you know researching it and exploring it kind of like as a concept and also like how to deal with it Um, right but going to to Licking County was the first time I did it with you know folks who like do it as a hobby and have all these like electronic toys and stuff and mm-hmm. we're explaining you know how they do evps to set it up so you can get you know responses hopefully or like how you use dousing rods and just you know just any anything that they had it but it was the first kind of like structured investigation that i had been on i got you so i mean as far as you know what do you think i mean have you had many experience like experiences there is it i don't want to say a hotbed but you know what you, yeah what do you think your kind of top top three cool experiences there? are from looking county historical jail Could yeah put you on the so spot. there's i mean there's a, a several you know like great kind of like uh continued hauntings uh mm-hmm. that that happen at looking county and you know when you do the tour they, they tell you about all of them um but the the ones that we had the most kind of best interaction with her name is may and we have just we have, we have excellent kind of evp situations of her um either 
you know, interacting and answering questions. Or one time we were we were trying to play music and the EVPs are, um, it's like, yes and louder. Um, just kind of like, as we're asking, do you want to listen to music? Like, is this good? Oh, okay. Um, so it's really cool. And then um, we actually had the opportunity to use a geo box. Are you familiar with that? Um, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. Explain it to me. It might be okay. maybe I just know it by a different term. Yeah. So I mean, it's like uh, it'd be like a spirit box, like the um, SB7, mm-hmm. but it is kind of revamped. And most of them, it's made by this guy um, George Brown. He um, kind of like took these tools and and redid it. He and he puts them in typically like old radio looking things. But what he did oh, was okay. clear up all of that white noise. So you end up with just voices. And I think it ends up being a very like great and convincing method because you're not really guessing anymore at the words. And Yeah, that's what always bugs me about EVPs. Yeah. yeah. So it, it becomes very clear. And we had we were in May's cell using it. And there was this man who kept responding to us and we asked if you know, could we talk to May? Like, that's who we came here for, whatever. Like, you won't tell us your name kind of thing. Like, um, and you can hear him say May, but it sounds like he's turned away from us. Like, it's like his voice, like, kind of like the Doppler effect. Like, he's, like, turning and asking for yeah. May to, like, come over. And you can hear what sounds like some kind of, like, steps or shuffling or something. There's, like, a repetitive echo. And then you hear a woman talking. And it's... Like one, it's just one of those moments where you're like, maybe this is nothing, maybe it's an insane coincidence, whatever it is, but right. this is what I would call proof. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds that sounds fascinating. Like so, yeah, but did you? So you got all that because what was it called? The um, it's the geo box. The, like um, it got rid of all the it got rid of all the yeah, white it, noise and junk and really cleared it up, huh? Yeah, definitely. And then my my actual like kind of favorite experience there. Um, is always in, it's in the basement area. It's like the old original cafeteria, kitchen slash storage slash chapel area. Um, Mm -hmm. When my very first investigation there, I was um, investigating with my co-host Lori and she got grabbed in there. Um, But every time we kind of come back, we always go back into this, this little room that's back there to see if we can get anything or have another experience like that. And the not the last time, but like the time before, I, this is probably two years ago that this happened. Mm-hmm. But we were sitting there doing our initial kind of team meeting and had some weird experiences. So a few of us stayed while everyone else went off to other areas. And you could see someone kind of standing in the doorway watching us. And there were four of us sitting at this like table that was down there. And all of a sudden, all the like the K2s going off the REM pod was going off and there's no windows in this room, but all of us saw okay. just this bolt of light shoot across the ceiling. Like, and it was, it's just a moment where you're like, we all saw that, right? Like, are we all <laughs> hallucinating? I don't. And that we just, we couldn't figure out where that light could have come from because we're in, you know, just like a, a windowless room. Yeah. Right. There's no. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had a, I had a, I have a friend who is very much uh, a skeptic. Like I took him on the the ghost tour at the Stanley Hotel. He was not yeah. impressed. 
But uh, he actually just report. He actually just told me a while back something kind of similar in his basement, where like it has windows, but he wasn't in an area where there were windows, and he had the, the same thing happen. Just a weird flash of light that, he, like, from where he was at, it couldn't have it couldn't have happened the way he explained that it happened. That's kind yeah. of interesting coincidence. And I but, think there is there's like known phenomena like that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, like specifically like skeptic people, usually try to point out that you know like ball lightning is is a thing, but this this just didn't seem like that. It, it seemed I don't know a little more kind of like an intentional interaction of whatever was mm-hmm. an intentional phenomena occurred kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah, I guess that's what I was trying to get is like for him to for him to tell me that yeah, yeah had to have gotten to him somehow because he wouldn't have said that otherwise you know like yeah but just as interesting that it was the same thing the kind of the same phenomena yeah but, but no that is a great little i'm gonna have to go back hit that up sometime maybe do an episode on it or something because people <laughs> have gone there i think like ghost adventures has gone there it's you know people have gone there before, yeah so it's not like yeah but it's nice and it was, tucked away and ghost adventures was like it was like one of their earlier seasons i think yeah and i don't it to my knowledge, like it, it's obviously helped them, but a lot of people still just haven't investigated there, um, and I don't really know why because it's you know people come here from across the country to go to Mansfield, and Mansfield's yeah, great, like but you how can't far away are they? Like, they can't even be right. Well, they're, right. They're, they're probably I don't know an hour, hour, hour and a half away. But if I was coming all the way here from California to do an investigation, like just do that one the next night or something, yeah, it's just as good. Right, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, yeah, this is weird, but hopefully, hopefully, a couple people will listen to this and be like, <laughs> "Right, check that out." Yeah, I'll make sure to <laughs> to to uh, get some pictures and stuff on it up. So, let's move on over. So, <clears throat> damn, I've been eating, I've been eating a uh, mixed nuts, so now my mouth is. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about brand new. So. Brandu, you did, and I like I said, I apologize. I have not been able to sit down and listen to like episodes eight and some of the, some of the newer stuff. So you did, you tried an Estes method there, huh? Yeah. So we've um, we've been big fans of the the Estes method since I guess basically we learned of it. I mean, yeah. we had all the the tools to do it, so we were like, "Well, that seems fun. Let's try it." And what we what we found out was that you can sometimes get really phenomenal results. And to me, at least, um, it ends up becoming more believable than other results. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, just using the, the spirit box on its own, there's a, there's a big element of group bias and in, in suggestion that can happen when someone shouts out an answer. But yeah. if no one is saying what they think they heard, then it, makes it harder for there to be a conversation with whatever it is potentially trying to communicate. So, but it, I think the spirit box alone just creates this moment of it can be compelling, but it's, it can be explained away. When you have, you know, the S's method and you have these noise canceling headphones on, you're blindfolded. The only thing you can hear is the static from the spirit box. And, you know, people are asking you questions and I, I've honestly only had two ways this has played out. The the receiver, the per- person listening to the spirit box, either says nothing because they have heard nothing, 
or when they're talking, you know, someone will ask a question and they will respond. And I don't know, like, what the odds are of that happening and syncing up, but when they're responding appropriately, intelligently, without hearing the question, I truly believe something unique is happening. And I think, I, mean, I don't know necessarily what they're making contact with per se. Um, obviously we think it's kind of like a ghost, a paranormal entity of some sort, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's really just produced fantastic results. And when we went to Brindu, we, um, you know, we intentionally set out to try it and we were trying to kind of figure out the best way to do it and who would do it. And, um, because, and but we wanted to do that because it was kind of a new, a new tool that we could use um, from the last time we were there. Um, and, you know, the last time we did have some great interactions, but it was very limited. I don't think we got any really stellar EVPs or in the, the spirit box wasn't really working that night. So we, we had a lot of, you know, like, like the REM pod or the K2 or, um, and I don't, I'm not a huge fan of them, but dousing rods, like people said they had some success with that. Yeah. Um, but we, we knew we made contact with, with something that night and we thought it was honestly Sally. So we went back with the in, intention of hopefully chatting with her again and kind of getting to the, the bottom of some of her story, hopefully. And yeah, I mean, like, and, and we did. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> you can hear it in, in, in the clip that we, we have um, in the episode. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I left it in there, but I, like, it starts working. Like, there was a question, and then we got an answer. And you can hear me just say, holy shit. <laughs> because it's just, it's, like, unbelievable when it's happening. I bet. Yeah, I really like. I don't know if you ever watched. So obviously, if you know about the SS mess, then you've watched Hellier. But did you ever watch uh, the Spirits of the Stanley that Carl and Connor did before that? I have. Yeah, um, it's just been a minute, so don't ask me too specific yeah. a question. No, no. I just one of my favorite, I think, Estes method um, happenings is actually in that when they're there's one episode where they're up in. I can't remember. They're up in like the upper level of the auditorium and Connor's got the headphones on or whatever. And they start trying to do something with numbers. And his response is, oh, we're doing the numbers now or something like that. Yeah. So like you do get these great responses. And I think if, you know, I think it is a great, a great method. And I'm glad people are experimenting with it. Have you tried using the other box, the, uh, the geo box with it? So we haven't yet. Um, hmm. We don't. the The box that we had that night was kind of loaned to us. On loan, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're like relatively expensive, and we just haven't um, kind of like bitten the bullet and, and and purchased one. But part of that was when we were seriously looking at it, we also started seriously looking at the Estes method and having great success with it. So it kind of went on the back burner as as a tool to potentially purchase. Gotcha. Wow, that's great. So that is episode eight I'm looking at right here. And like I said, I haven't listened to it yet, but as soon as we're done with this, I think I'm going to sling some headphones on and go take a walk in the dark and uh, (laughs) listen to it real quick. So if I'll report back on my show, if, if, if you left that in there or not, but so those are great. So how receptive is 
brand new to having people come in and investigate. Like, it doesn't look yeah. like they make a big deal about it on their website, but obviously you've and, been there a couple of times, so. Yeah, and they and they don't. It's not something that's um, kind of super well publicized there, but I actually, I believe that the same kind of um, paranormal team volunteers slash works with um, mm-hmm. the Old Licking County Jail and also um, volunteers to host ghost investigations at um, Brendu. So even though their main focus is kind of a, you know, event destination venue right. um, in the evenings after everything is over, they're very open to investiga- investigators coming in and spending the night there. Nice. I like that. Uh, so that's about those two places. Unless there's anything else you want to add, anything you may be for either one of them. Um, oh, no. I mean, I, that's, you know, I, they, they're, they're just great places to investigate. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks haven't been there. Um, yeah, that's but, really why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And I don't know. We Our, our team specifically likes looking at some of these kind of um, off the beaten path places mm-hmm. and kind of finding diamonds in the rough before they're they're super popular and snatched up yeah yeah, and and one of the best things about doing that is that we live in ohio and we just have an abundance of um these paranormal locations like i i I swear something new like pops up every week where someone's investigating something now oh yeah i have a map (laughs) yeah yeah. i have a road map i bet you have it too right where you unfold it's like bigfoot sign here ufo sign here right yeah Yeah, like (laughs) And I wish, I know they don't make it for every state, but I wish they made one. I'd love to get a hold of as many of those as I could and just be like, but no. So, yeah, I, I found one of those at Roundabout Books, I think, that you can find them in here. But, no, absolutely. It's called, it's the Hidden Ohio map, right? I think so, yes. Yeah. Like, it literally is like, it folds up like a road, it is a road map, but then it has yeah. everything, everything no, pinpointed. Yeah. yeah. Mine's upstairs somewhere. <laughs> but, no, so, like... Anything? So you said you grew up in a haunted house, huh? Yeah. Anything there that would be like, what was going on there? If unless you don't want to. <laughs> no. Um. So my parents live on a, a. They still live there, but they live on a farm, um, huh? in rural Union County. Um, and growing up, I would eventually. I think I was like, I don't know, seven or eight, and I started kind of like telling my parents that there was something happening at night, like there was someone in the hallway or like there was like weird sounds in my room and it like, it it just kept happening. And it was, I think it was some kind of residual type haunting Mm -hmm. um, that would just kind of pace the hallway at night. And for whatever reason, no one else really ever saw it but you know if i was i would see it if i was walking past the hallway i could see something like walk across the hallway or if i was laying in bed like you could hear it or if you had your door open you could see it and it wasn't until i moved out for for college that i was like home for something and i was talking to my parents and my dad was like so do you remember when you were younger and you used to tell us that like the house was haunted, that there was someone in the hallway and that blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, why? <laughs> he was like, 
because I've been seeing it and your mom says she saw something the other day. And I, so it was like, as soon as I left the house, it was like, well, no one can see me anymore. No one's paying attention to me and just like started showing itself to the rest of the family finally. But that, that is what got me. I mean, I think also it started just, it all. Yeah. I mean, that, that started it, but growing up and just being, you know, on a farm, you can't always go visit friends cause they're, you know, you can't like ride your bike for 10 miles or something like your parents aren't going to let you do that. Mm -hmm. um, so you end up, you know, exploring and investigating and um, finding weird things or seeing weird things or hearing something weird. And it just leads to like a, a bit of curiosity. Right. Yeah. Um, I just want to let everyone know, I just looked up the, uh, the geo box here. All of them are sold out for 2020, everyone. So yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> and when they do come up, uh, he uh, it, it, they usually put them on eBay. Um, yeah. Wow. He sometimes does a wait list, but then they're they sell them for like five thousand dollars or something. So it's an investment wow. in a tool. Right. They do look pretty cool though. I'll give them that. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that is great. So your show, Q Files, it's it's also biweekly, right? So it comes out. I think it comes out on the same. You did one on the 24th, so you should have a new one coming out here soon, right? Yeah, the next one will be out a week from today. Okay. And anyone can find that pretty much wherever they find this show or any other show. Um, yep. I think that'll. I think we can make something work out of this little interview here. Is there anything you want to plug? Plug the show, plug the ghost hunting group, anything you want to let people know about? Uh, I mean, just right now, just... You know, I, it would be it'd be pretty cool if you would go and check out um, the Q files on you know, Apple Music or Spotify, wherever you listen. Um, and you can follow along on our adventures on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's it. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK. Yeah, I'll make sure I'll post a, a link in my show notes and stuff when I do it so that everyone can grab that. But I think I think that'll work. I think that'll work for the interview. Awesome. Uh, thank you very much. What was I going to say? Something I don't remember. Yeah, so I'll let you know. It's not going to be this upcoming episode I'm doing Friday. It'll probably be the okay. one after that, I think, unless something happens. But I will definitely I'll let you know what episode it is so you can kind of signal boost it out if you would. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we'll get it out to everybody. But no, thank you so much for taking the time and doing that. I've been thinking about doing this for a minute and I just never got around to it. But no, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. Great chatting with you. Hmm. Have a good night, man. I think I'm going to take Bye. a walk. Bye. <laughs> and that is our show for this week. Once again, if you have a story and experience, Bigfoot sighting, UFO sighting, you know, true crime, strange history in your small town or from a small town that you've been, been to, or just any type of personal experience that you want to share you can get it to me in many, many ways. You can go to stscast.com and scroll down to the bottom of the page. The main page there, there is an email form that you can fill out and send to me. Uh, also, while you're on that page, you can check out uh, links to the store to buy some merch if you would like, some stickers, some t-shirts, uh, coffee mug, all sorts of great stuff like that. Getting ready to do some new designs, I think, for that and getting some new stuff in there. Uh, you can also check out show notes for this episode and any episode 
So mainly in there, you're going to have uh, pictures pertinent to the the show and all the links to all the sources that I use for this show in every show. You can also get on me at social media. I'm most active on Twitter. That is at STScast. Facebook is also at STScast. I'm also on Instagram at STScast.gram. Feel free to get a hold of me on any of those platforms if you would like uh, to share an experience. You can write it in. You can point me to some articles. You can come on and talk about it if you would like. We can figure it out. We can set it up. No problem there. But that's it. I want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, I know that it is, once again, a weird time right now. And I hope everyone is staying, staying safe and staying healthy. And if listening in the show and podcasts are helping you get through all of this, then uh, it's doing its job. And if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, especially if it's iTunes. That's the one that really helps out. But I'm on pretty much everything. Just I just claimed the show a little while ago on Podchaser. So actually right now for the next 15 days, if you leave a review of this show or any show on Podchaser, then they will donate, I believe, 25 cents a review to Meals on Wheels. So that's going on. So for the next 15 days, I guess until the middle of the month, I'm not sure when they started it, so the 15th, maybe a little bit after that. And uh, that's kind of a cool thing. So if you've ever needed an excuse to leave a review for this show, go to Podchaser and do it there and help help out with that. But we'll be coming back uh, for episode eight in a couple of weeks, depending on what goes on and if I'm back at my job or not. I might do it early again next time. So, you know, like this one's probably going to come out on Friday morning. So the next one might come out on Friday morning. But that's all I've got. Once again, thanks for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review or just tell a friend. If everyone gets one more person to listen to the show, then... That would be fantastic. So uh, if you'll excuse me, I now have to go read a very large book about a talking mongoose for the next episode. So until then, remember, every town has a secret. What is yours?
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.